four, three. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Rotating Reels Podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Taylor May. Joining me today, our host in Portland, Oregon, Keegan Tran. Say hello to the people, Keegan. Hey, And calling in also from Seattle, Washington, our other host, Hank. Hank Showalter. Hank, how you doing? I'm doing pretty good. Hi, everyone. Today, we got an awesome podcast for you. We're reviewing A24's new film, The Green Knight. Before we do that, though, I want to remind you guys, we got a Patreon. You can uh, just search Rotating Reels on Patreon. We got a lot of great content there, uh, pretty different than our main channel here. So we do a lot of uh, head-to-heads. We compare our favorite crossovers, favorite uh, streaming services, all kinds of fun stuff like that. Five bucks a month, you become a Patreon, get access to all that extra content. So look us up on uh, Patreon. It's Rotating Reels. You can also go to rotatingreels.com. And again, before we get into the Green Knight, another little intermediate step here. We're going to talk about what we've been watching this week. We said we do every week. We just spend three minutes. we got a hard time cap, and we talk about what we've been watching this week, TV, movies, maybe some video games get thrown in, maybe some books if we're feeling frisky. Yeah. Okay, so who wants to start us off? Hank, why don't you start us off? What did you watch this week? Yeah, I'll take it. Um, I've had a pretty light watching week, like the past couple weeks. Uh, you know, it's been a lot of a lot of study time, a lot of video game time. But I have gotten a couple things in. So first of all, I've mentioned every week for the past couple weeks, uh, Wellington Paranormal. It's a fantastic comedy series. It's from the same people that produce What We Do in the Shadows, and it's kind of the, the same sort of vein of show. It's kind of a mockumentary about supernatural forces at work in New, New Zealand. Um, it's hysterical. It's on HBO Max, uh, and it's airing an episode a week right now. There's already three seasons out in New Zealand where it comes from, but uh, it's it's airing for the first time in the U.S. now. But it's awesome. Like, if you like comedy, it's funny. If you've seen What We Do in the Shadows and you like that, you're going to give this, like, a 10 out of 10. It's fantastic. Um, besides that, I've also mentioned a couple, a couple times in the past couple weeks, I've been watching a lot of American Ninja Warrior. It's a stunning display of athleticism, and it's also really easy to ignore because it's just kind of like the same five to ten obstacles over and over again. Just seeing people do amazing uh, pull-ups. <laughs> it's, uh, <laughs> you know, it's entertaining. Uh, I think that the hosts are kind of oddly charismatic for like a, a sports program. And uh, yeah, overall, I really like it. I, I'd, I'd recommend watching it if you're into sports or you just want something that you can turn on and feel good about. Um, besides that, I really haven't watched much. I've been keeping up on YouTube with the Watcher stuff. Uh, they do a series called Dish Granted, but I've only seen one episode of it. Um, it's good, but uh, I, I don't feel <laughs> like I'm qualified to comment on the whole new season yet. Um, but yeah, other than that, haven't haven't really watched anything. Uh, I've been playing a couple video games, but I'm going to save those for our After Hours episode because I have one in particular I'd like to discuss. Ooh, okay. Well, our Patreons will get to hear about that. Keegan, what'd you watch this week? Yeah, uh, I also kept it pretty late, so I think I only have like two things to talk about. I should have three, but I, like like Hank, I'm going to save one of those for the uh, big After Hours episode that, gonna, that we're going to be doing. Uh, the first thing that I watched was a 45-minute anime OVA, which is short for Original Video Animation. Uh, usually these are about 45 minutes to an hour long. Um, they're not quite the budget of a movie, uh, and they're obviously much longer than like a 20-minute episode of anime. 
and after we watched Perfect Blue, I was super into like hand-drawn 2D anime of like the 80s and 90s. So I checked out this anime called Kite, uh, which I'm sure people have heard of. Uh, incredibly graphic and violent. Um, and the, it's basically about a teenage assassin, teenage assassin uh, in I think late 80s Japan. Very like cyberpunky, lots of fun colors. Uh, obviously, the the hand drawn animation is beautiful. Uh, and it was really interesting because last week we had our conversation with Perfect Blue about how. Uh, you know, we maybe might not have been the most equipped to talk about how the character was sexualized. And when you watch Kite, you can kind of see the stark comparison of how good a job that Perfect Blue does in kind of protecting its female lead character from over-sexualization. Because this movie has some pretty overt sexual assault scenes um, that are just very graphic, but they're also, you know, kind of sexualized in a way that's really gross. Um, mm. And the version that's on Crunchyroll right now is actually a HD remaster of that. And in that HD remaster, they try to edit as much of that out that doesn't affect the story. And I think, uh, you know, obviously censorship, that that's its own conversation, but I think seeing a trimmed down version of the movie that doesn't have the sexual assault themes actually makes it a lot more interesting and a lot more watchable. Uh, it's a bit spotty because I think some of the scenes they struggle to find the original scans of. So sometimes it'll jump from like HD to like you're straight up watching a VHS of the of the OVA <laughs> from back in the 90s. So it's a little jarring <laughs> in that regard. But if you guys have Crunchyroll, it's it's on there. Um, it's a lot less scary than I remember as a kid. So I would check that out. Um, the other thing I Keegan, watched were you, is... Were you, were you around yeah. when VHSs were a thing? Do you know what they look like? They're like rectangles, and they're black, and inside <laughs> oh, is gosh. actual... <laughs> Very funny. I, was, I will say I was right on the threshold. So I was like, I was probably eight years old, and then they started having those... Do you guys remember the, the Blu-ray versus HD war? It was like yeah. 1080 versus 720. So that was like when I was like seven or eight. So... I remember VHS, but probably not as fondly as uh, Old Man Taylor. <laughs> okay, all right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Now tell us, tell us what I'll else you've been watching. One more thing. Uh, it's a new series on Disney Plus called Behind the Attraction. Um, and so I'm kind of getting more into, like, theme park stuff. And for people that are, like, big on YouTube, Defunct Land is a really big channel that does deep dives into, like, different theme park attractions and, you know, behind the stories of this ride. Uh, but this is produced by Disney for Disney Plus, so it's obviously going to be a very positive look on a lot of their rides. But it's still a lot of fun. It's uh, Each ride gets about a 45-minute to an hour episode where they talk about, you know, the history of the ride. Um, so Jungle Cruise, the movie just came out, and so they detail, you know, back in the 50s when the Jungle Cruise was, you know, uh, a pipe dream of, of making a jungle in the California desert. Could you do it? Could, you know, you use your modern technology of the time to create something that was feasible? Um, and so they go into a lot of the history, talk to a lot of the Imagineers that were around at the time, and it's just super interesting. They have, like, really old footage of blueprints and engineers working and Walt looking, you know, walking around and looking at things disapprovingly and being cranky. Uh, so it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and I think there's like five episodes out so far, and I really like the one on the Haunted Mansion. So again, if you guys have Disney Plus, Behind the Attraction is is pretty fun. That's nice. It. How long? How long is that? Is it like different episodes for each ride, or? Yes, so it's about. I think it's forty-five minutes per episode, and I think there's five episodes out. I don't know if they plan on doing more, um, but it covers the the big ones from from. Uh, Disneyland, and I think they're gonna branch out and do like California Adventure and stuff from like Epcot, Animal Kingdom. But it's a uh, it's a lot of fun. Nice, nice. Well, that's that's good. Okay, I I also had a light watch week this week. Um, 
pretty pretty busy so the only thing i was able to sneak in was just furthering my rewatch of dairy girls can't get enough of these of these uh, these girls in northern ireland they bring such a hilarious twist to sectarian violence it's really just it's great <laughs> it's it's really a great de-stressor and the third season is it's been postponed a million times due to covid they started stopped started stopped supposedly it's going to start any they're going to start uh, filming again any day now so pretty excited for when the next season comes out i think they just have so much room to keep this show going for a while so i still can't understand most of what they say there's like legitimately <laughs> scenes where they'll talk for like two minutes and my partner and i look at each other and have literally no clue what they've said for two minutes and then we we'll put the subtitles on and it doesn't help like i can oh, okay. read the words and it does not explain at all what what anyone's talking about yeah so but that's you know, it so that's i like you've been talking about this for a couple weeks what's the general premise again uh, so it's um, it's it, it follows some teenage girls go to a Catholic all girls school in Derry, which is a city in Northern Ireland that is you know caught up in uh, conflict between Protestants and Catholics, um, and it just follows these girls around as they live their life, uh, and it's hysterical, like just drop dead funny all the time characters constantly making mistakes getting embarrassed and then it gets worse and it snowballs and then their parents come to help fix it and then their parents are just as crazy as them so their parents make it even worse and it just keeps going and keeps going and then there's just all kinds of like for instance the the father in the main family he's 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 southern so he's from southern ireland and so everybody hates him because of that so you know the the grandpa is always asking when he's gonna leave his daughter alone and he goes we've been married for like 17 years we have children together like i'm not and he goes oh i'm keeping it eye on you like it's just it's just stuff like that all the, all the time <laughs> and okay. and the, it's on the netflix, right? yeah it's on netflix there's two seasons okay. out um, i think it's eight episodes per season something like that um but yeah okay. no i can't can't recommend it enough <clears throat> all right well are we ready to get into our main review you guys ready yeah. yeah i really want to get ready? into this i'm, I'm still kind of confused by how i felt after this movie and I'm yeah, curious me too. If you guys sh- share my feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I've been recommending it to people and I usually will say like, I think I liked it. I think you would like it. I'm still, I haven't quite <laughs> decided yet, but here's the, here's the blurb. So this is a two four. Um, so this is their official blurb. So it's a little better than the IMDB blurb and it is <clears throat> an epic fantasy adventure based on the timeless Arthurian legend. The green Knight tells the story of Sir Gaw, Gawain, Gawain, uh, Gawain, Gowen, King Arthur's reckless and headstrong nephew who embarks on a daring quest to confront the eponymous Green Knight, a gigantic emerald skin stranger and tester of men. Gawain contends with ghosts, giants, thieves, and schemers in what becomes a deeper journey to define his character and prove his worth in the eyes of his family and kingdom by facing the ultimate challenger. From visionary filmmaker David Lowry comes a fresh and bold spin on a classic tale from the Knights of the Round Table. So that's that. That basically that basically sums it up. I, I will before I ask you guys what your initial impressions were. My initial impression, just to kind of contrast it with this blurb, is that this movie really leans in. I think to the traditional epic in that there's a lot of just bonkers stuff that goes on that I have you're not really quite sure what it's saying, but you think it's saying something a little more than is like the obvious first impression. And th- this this movie really just says, yeah, we're doing that. We're not we're not going to clean up this old epic myth for modern audiences we're gonna go right into that um so it's a strange movie but i liked it a lot and i and i, I watched it with with hank here so i think i know hank's opinion so keegan why don't you start us off what were your first impressions 
No, you should have done that. You shouldn't have passed it to me first because I feel like I am probably gonna have the uh, the odd one out on this. So I'm gonna rip the bandaid off. I'm gonna say how I felt. And I'm gonna try to. I'm gonna try to back out a little bit of my thoughts. So I'm just gonna say flat out, this is a really good and interesting movie. It's. A, I would bore to say that it's a great movie, and I'm so so happy that it exists. And it's not for me. <laughs> I uh, like you said. You you recommend it to certain people, and you're like, I don't know if you'll like it. I don't know if I liked it. Uh, I and again, I harp on them a lot. A24. I'm so happy that they fund these weird, interesting projects. Right. I think in a way it pushes the industry forward. But man, a lot of these movies, final card comes up, credits roll, and I just go. Okay, and then I walk to my car and I feel weird, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think it's a pretty common experience. Uh, so again, I, on a technical level, just watching this thing, right? It is gorgeous. I love people wandering through forests with crazy lights, all this stuff. People don't talk about this movie enough, but Gretel and Hansel, it's another movie that's very similar, just people being lost in woods with crazy art house lights in the background. I love it, can't get enough of it, right? I think there's some really fun stuff, but I'm gonna make myself sound like a hypocrite here. One thing that I think increasingly bothers me is these movies that require a lot of pre-work. Uh, and again, I know I, I usually review our Marvel movies pretty well, and I usually talk about how I read a fair amount of Marvel comics, and I think that's you know maybe a little bit unfair. But similarly to how we did the killing of a sacred uh, killing of a sacred deer, I feel like these are movies that are based on epic poems that. I think undeniably are a better watching experience if you have a fair amount of familiarity with the subject material that they come from. And as someone that decided to go in blind and just watch The Green Knight on its own, I think this movie is interesting and it's cool on a technical level, but narratively just really, really didn't do that much for me. And I'm sure we'll get into more of that in spoilers because I think this is somewhat a very plot and very like, you know, written word dependent movie. But as it is now, I'm I'm just a little uh, ugh, on it, so. Okay, yeah, I'm excited to explore that with you. I'm excited for to go down that journey with you, Gigan. <laughs> I will say too. I think of all the movies, right, that we've talked about, this is not an outright like a, I didn't like it, and I think this yeah. is one of the movies where I think I'm willing to have my opinion changed a little bit, as I'm sure Hank will introduce a lot more context to it. <laughs> How do, just real quick, how do you feel about, not necessarily like high fantasy, but just sort of this historical medieval time period? How do you feel about that in film generally? Yeah, I, good question. I think, so we just did Black Death, right? I think I really liked that. But I think in that review, I talked about how it doesn't really commit to being high fantasy. Like people talk very modern. Um, and I think I kind of like that subversion, right? I think, I don't know if I'm always one that wants to, undertake the legwork and the pre-work of reading these things and, and being in that state of mind that these movies always ask of me. But to be fair, if there were a high fantasy movie that were to get me into it, you know, this would probably be the one because it has so much fun art house stuff. Okay, but you're not you're not biased just against historical stuff, Jen. Like, there are plenty of people no. that are like, nah, I don't really want to watch knights and armor and that kind of stuff. Yeah, I mean, you know, the trailer for this that had Ridley Scott's new movie, and that, The Last Duel, and that looks awesome, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Awesome. Okay. All right. Yeah, well, let's explore that more. Hank, how did how'd you feel about it? Yeah, so I'm actually kind of interested to talk about this after Keegan's opinion, because I walked in thinking I was going to say nothing but glowing things about this movie, and I really, really enjoyed it. 
But I walked out being very convinced that there would be a lot of people that didn't share my opinion. And not, hmm. you know, sometimes I get that, that feeling like when a movie's like kind of bad and I like it despite that. That wasn't the case here. I think this movie was good and I still liked it. But it was just really made for a distinct audience. <laughs> and I think Keegan touched on it uh, pretty well when he said there was kind of a lot of pre-work uh, required. And Taylor, I think you might have a contrasting opinion here, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear it. But anyway, I've read the, the poem, uh, Sir Gawain and the, the Green Knight, several times. I've read a couple different translations of it, and I like uh, kind of old epics like that. And, and the, the poem is distinct because, you know, it's a poem. It's not prose. So some of it's kind of vague. Um, a lot of it kind of covers large time periods or doesn't cover events in as much detail as we would expect from a, a modern prose work. And I think the movie captures that really well. Um, you know, there's kind of like this long intro section that I won't get into too much, but, uh, you know, it, it kind of introduces characters and then there's the rest of the movie that is kind of like then their mythic adventures. Um, and I think that structure really well captures kind of the original poem and the body of work it came from. But I walked out of the movie thinking, like, if I hadn't read the poem, I would have been like, man, I wish I knew what was going on there. And mm. I, I, I don't mean in like a literal sense. I think the literal events can be really understood by any viewer. Like, like if, you're, if you're looking at purely literally, you know what happened. But it wouldn't really mean anything to you because a lot of the, the original work has to do with kind of like ideas of chivalry and honor. And that is clearly present in the film, but they don't really talk about it all that much. And so I think if you're not thinking about it in that way, kind of with some of the language that the poem introduced... Uh, the film can feel kind of meandering and pointless. Um, so I was a little bit concerned for a large part of the viewership in that way, even though I got it myself. And I could just be a pretentious fuck, you know, and be like, <laughs> I read it so I get it better. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I just thought that it, it really relied a lot on the source material for me, and I'm curious if it did for others. And it sounds like it did for Keegan, which is unfortunate because he hadn't read it. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, you know, I, I, I've read a lot. I hadn't read this epic poem um until i watched the movie i wanted to see the film first just to kind of see it stand alone um but i've i've read a lot of you know older literature um and you know i, I did read some in college and classes and i will say it definitely it's definitely a more enjoyable read if you have someone there that can tell you all the little things that you're just going to miss by literally reading it and and so i can definitely see how that would limit this film for people um but at the same time it's it's still I, I still enjoyed it it's still it's still fun for me to see how these things stand on their own not just the film but you know just rereading these poems how they stand you know sometimes a thousand years later so let's do we do we have any more non-spoilery comments we want to make before we uh before we jump into the spoilers i uh, just a little thing. I don't think this is a huge spoiler. Um, but another thing I think was interesting is that this was a like a colorblind casting. I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but it seemed like, you know, for being old Britain, right? Like we have a lot of black people. We have, you know, a main character who's Indian, and his mother seems to be Indian as well. But she's still the king's sister, supposedly, right? Because he calls 
you're, you're my sister's boy. So this is really interesting. I think like because this movie already has so many elements that seem to be untethered from reality, like why not, right? Why not have Deb Patel be your main character? And he has a great performance in it. So I think this was a, an instance of, of pretty cool colorblind casting for sure. I would actually really agree with that. I think this is maybe my favorite instance of colorblind casting um, because I think they did a really great job with it. They just threw them in there and let them kind of speak on their own merits as actors. Uh, Deb Patel, mm -hmm. his performance was stellar, um, though I don't think that was going to surprise anyone. I, I don't know the name of the woman that played his mother, but similarly, she, she was like honestly very emotive despite not having that many spoken lines. Yeah. Um, but... It was really cool to see this because I feel like a lot of colorblind casting happens in situations where they kind of need to change up the script to address it. And that was not at all the case here. And that was kind of refreshing because like normally it kind of feels like they're really making you focus on it, which in my opinion kind of diminishes the value of the act. Um, because, you know, mm. if they're really making you focus on it, it's kind of like it's less normalizing in a way. Mm -hmm. I could be convinced otherwise. But uh, in this movie, it just felt really natural and normal because they never re were really like sticking your face in it. They were like, yeah, that's, that's how it is. And you believe them because they created the scene so well. Um, so yeah, I, I really love the color playing casting in this film. Yeah, yeah, and uh, the only other thing I would say was that I think I think we'd probably all agree that the technical aspects of the film were all flawless. Like you know the, the cinematography, the coloring, the sound. I think that was all of of the highest order. And really, what our spoiler section is probably talking about is characterization and mm -hmm. uh, the different scenes and things like that. But from a technical standpoint, I don't have any faults with that I can find with this film at all. I don't know about you guys. Yeah, from a technical standpoint, this movie was like, okay, what are the things Hank likes? You know, he wants like some like on set shoot or on location shooting. He wants some gorgeous colors. He wants some kind of eerie sound work. And they just threw it all in there. I got it all. And I couldn't be more pleased. <laughs> yeah. Hank, okay, do you know, cool. was this well, filmed oh, on go ahead. location? Sorry to cut you off. Was this filmed in, in <clears throat> Britain? Do you know? I actually don't know. Uh... Based on the landscapes, it kind of looked like it to me, but I, yeah, I'm not sure. Maybe later in the review, I'll come in with an answer after Googling in the background. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> All right, more to come on that. If nothing else, let's get into the spoilers. Who wants, anybody got any burning spoiler things they want to say? Keegan oh, does. Yep. Uh, oh, no, I do. I, oh, I got Hank, my go. answer yeah, on filming locations. Right it, was, it was all filmed in Ireland. Um, so oh, pretty close cool. to on location and you know considering the fact that we don't really know I, I think that precisely where the King Arthur myths <laughs> originated from maybe it was on location you know when the story actually occurred yeah. and there are uh, there is you know I was reading a little bit about the history of, of this work and um, there are earlier stories from 8th century Ireland Ireland of a uh, we're in spoilers now so here comes a spoiler of a beheading game so of a, of a similar kind of initial plot device, there are much, much older stories. Um, I think I've heard similar things about the general Arthurian legend. So, you know, maybe this was originally set in Ireland. Maybe. Can I ask All a right. question to the group to yeah. I, I hopefully kick off this conversation? So for Hank, I think with probably the person with the most familiarity with the source material. So to set this up, right, so we're, we're at a dinner. Dev Patel's character, Sir Gawain, he's saying, you know, I have no tales to tell about myself. And the queen, interestingly, says, not yet, right? Which kind of sets us up. And then the Green Knight rides in, and he introduces the game of, you, you inflict any blow on me, and then a year later, you come out to my Green Chapel, 
and I will inflict the same thing on you. So he decides to make a name for himself, beheads the Green Knight, the rest, you know, is, is the, the basis of what builds up the movie. But is this, is him beheading the Green Knight, is that to, supposed to be a condemnation of like, you know, men go straight, you know, mankind moves straight to violence and, you know, beheading? Or is it, is it some kind of like condemnation of human nature? Was he supposed to befriend him? Or is it just, it's always gonna work this way? Like he bows down and lays his head out, he's gonna get beheaded and then he's gonna behead someone. You know, I'm going to give my answer, uh, but I just want to give the disclaimer first that I'm not like an a uh, a major in British literature or the British literary tradition or storytelling traditions. Mm -hmm. And my readings of this work have not been academic. I've read it for pleasure uh, the multiple times I've read it. So my interpretation could be wrong here, but my understanding um, kind of of the characters and of the events as they're presented in the movie is that the beheading is is not really a condemnation of either thing. Uh, what it is is more of kind of a display of the value of, of courage kind of in this chivalric culture. You know, we, we always hear about courageous knights, and the most mm -hmm. courageous thing would be to strike off someone's head knowing a similar blow was coming to you in the future. And then the honorable thing would be to go through with that, which is what we see throughout the rest of the film. So I think what we're showing is kind of like an immediate display of courage in the, in, in the beginning, and then the rest of the film, Sir, Sir Gawain's, uh, you know, ventures through the, the realm are kind of like the knight's follies that happen thereafter. They're kind of him faltering and kind of showing, you know, what would happen if he, you know, went all the way into being cowardly and dishonorable. And then in the end of the movie, we show, you know, he is courageous and we get like a, a quite pleasant closeout where it's like he's dead, but that's how the story was meant to end. That's good. Um, so my reading of it is it's actually not a condemnation. It's just kind of like a darker positive thing than a modern audience would be really accustomed to. Uh, Taylor, yeah, okay. do you have any thoughts here? Well, I think, uh, you know, obviously I am also not a scholar on the, on the subject, but at the same time, having taken classes, not about this epic poem, but, you know, about the Icelandic sagas or other very old European literature, um, the academics will just go off on analyzing things. Things So like I was reading a little bit about this poem and there's, um, the whole, the whole character of the Fox, the whole scene of, of a Fox hunt of, of sort of chasing a Fox being chased by a Fox. Fox. And I am sure there are multiple academic papers written just on the fox and what the fox represents and how the fox and the, the chasing of the fox or the hunting of the fox parallels scenes of seduction and other things. And so, like, just the fact that we're not ac academics does not mean we can't have an interesting opinion about these things, because the academics themselves will just go off on crazy, crazy tangents about little minute things. So and I think that's 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 kind of the fun of these old myths, at least for me, is that a lot of it is so weird to me, and I just don't have a good intuition about why characters are doing the things they're doing, but it seems like there is some sort of reason. So, Keegan, to your question about the beheading, my first thought when that scene happened was, well, I should just give him a little cut. That'd be the way, that'd be the way yeah. out of this, right? Just a little scratch on the cheek, and then you can go get a scratch on the cheek later, and everything's fine. But of course, that's not, that's not going to be what's happening, because that's, you know, that's either cowardly or this guy didn't understand Gawain didn't understand the game or didn't really appreciate the the details of the agreement they were making um I I kind of don't 
I kind of don't want an answer. Not necessarily for the movie, but for the poem in, in the original sense. I kind of like reading this and thinking, what in the world is going on? Like, there's a, a similar poem called The Green Knight that's from a couple hundred years later, so still in like the 1500s, 1600s, and it's a much more, <clears throat> excuse me, skimmed down version of the older poem. It's simplified characters. Um, uh, motivations are very straightforward. A lot of the weirder mythical elements are just totally taken out. Everything seems like more of a story that we would recognize, right? Of that first, second, third act of the plot building and then reaching a crescendo and falling down. So even a couple hundred years later, which is still hundreds of years in the past from today, people were still trying to simplify this and, and not really acknowledge all the weird things that their forebearers had written down. Um, so I don't have a good answer for you, but that's kind of the fun for me. That's kind of why I like this movie so much, was just how bizarre everything was. Yeah, one thing I'd like to just kind of throw on the end of that is that that bizarreness is something that I feel like we often really only get from like really old works from before our time. Um, because you can do some effort to be, you know, uh, a contemporary bizarre person, but you still think like a lot of the other people in your time. But you know, when you take this work where I think the original writing of it as we know it happened in the in like the 1400s, I think it was a French author, maybe an English author. Um, but the story most likely predates that to Irish and Welsh mythology, Welsh mythologies. Um, those are just time periods that none of us have ever been to. And like we know a lot from written accounts and historical accounts, but we can't really put ourselves into the headspace of someone from that time. So to have something like this that is recreated from works in that time, and it's not really reinterpreted all that much into a modern context, it makes for a bizarre experience. Because even the guy that, you know, adapted to the screenplay, he can't put himself in the writer's shoes. He couldn't go ask, you know, the original creators, like, hey, what, what did you mean here? So, it, I, I don't know, it, it ends up being this bizarre act of translation that uh, I think is really fun to, to watch and to read, um, but I also think can be kind of a gateway for some of the viewership. Yeah, so Keegan, when you were when you were watching this, obviously you knew it was, and they make it very clear, this is based on this historical work. Were you able to ever separate it as just like, I'm just watching this story right now? Or were you constantly like, because like, I, I couldn't separate the two. I was constantly trying to 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 see how, how different this, this ancient story is from my modern sensibilities. For sure, yeah, and I think like a lot of times with a modern script like we we're talking about, so let's like compare to Saint Maud, right? Like another kind of out there A twenty four, you know, the horror thriller. Uh, some, you know, when there's oddities in that script, I'm thinking always like, oh, I, I can kind of follow. Like Hank had said, this is weird, but it's it's weird from a modern sense. I can kind of understand where this is going. Whereas, like you had said, when I'm watching The Green Knight, I'm like hyper aware that this is based on a very old epic poem, and I'm like. I don't get this, and do I not get this because it was an artistic choice on the part of the director, right? Is that part of their interpretation? Or is it weird just because this is like a weird, surreal poem to begin with? And I think it's a solid mix of both. And I think to your point, there is a certain amount of enjoyment in that. And I think at a certain point, I gave up on trying to hone in, you know, understanding every single part and how it all works out, because clearly, you know, the film, and I'm assuming the base story, isn't really interested in conveying a point A to point B narrative, right? Because essentially, it's laid out from the beginning, right? Like you're given what the what the challenge or what the Christmas game is going to be, and it kind of pans out to that, 
with some extra fun stuff in the middle. But I think I eventually just kind of distance it and I'm like, this is all just flair. I don't know where it's coming from, but I'm just gonna kind of go with it. And by the time, you know, I think this started to happen once we get to, I forget her name, but the the we go to the ghost's house and he looks to find her head. Uh, Saint uh, uh, Winifred? Winifred. Winifred. Yeah. Yep, Saint Winifred. Once we get to that sequence, I started realizing, like, you know what? Let's just give myself over and kind of see where this goes. And I think I enjoyed the second half a lot more because of that. Hmm. Okay. Actually, for different reasons, um, I would say that I liked the second half much more than the first half. Um, and the reason for me was the second half seemed a little bit more to be kind of fully living up to that, you know, like classic legend vibe of being, you know, a bunch of seemingly disjointed scenes connecting by like one through player, in this case, Sir Gawain. Um, and like, you know, it, like it, it went a lot of different places and did a lot of different things in a relatively short time span. But there is a lot of the first half that took place in Camelot, you know, in, in King Arthur's court. And there, there was like some spoken dialogue. Everyone did a great job, but it just wasn't as interesting as, you know, like meeting the brigands on the battlefield, going to St. Winifred's house, going to like the seemingly out of time villa in the countryside where he met like the weird bisexual couple who I totally approve of. I liked seeing him kiss that guy. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, like those different scenes, there was a lot more going on. There was a lot more to get interested in. In the first half of the movie, they did a lot of, you know, cool on-location ca castle shots somewhere in Ireland and calling it Camelot, but the character work just isn't really the foundation of this piece. You know, it's the character's journey that is. Um, so the second act for me was a lot more satisfying, um, especially near the end when they started doing that montage through Gawain's life after he became king. Um, I thought that was just... Like, if you could take that scene out of context and then, you know, just show the movie from there on. And I think it would have been like an award-winning short film. I was really impressed by that part. Mm -hmm. um, but anyway, for different reasons than Keegan, I preferred the second half to the first half. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I, I liked the first half and then... Uh, I, I mean, well, I liked I liked both halves, but the the first half felt much more immersive in the time period, which obviously it's not just a long time ago. It's also a semi-fictional time period, right? There's all these fantasy elements, um, but it felt more immersive. We saw a lot more characters in the town, and that just kind of like built out that this was a real place to me. So I was a little disappointed when the second half he's off by himself in the wild, encountering bizarre mythical sort of things, and I enjoyed that, but it was for very different reasons and I thought they weren't quite connected there. That's actually kind of my main criticism of the film was that this first half feels much more like about this community area, whatever you want to call it. And then it, and it doesn't really, I don't really see um, Sir Gawain is like standing out from that. He just seems like a regular sort of, you know, guy in that area. And then he leaves and becomes and encounters all this mythical, exciting things. Um, so that felt like a bit of a, a disconnect for me. But I still liked I still liked them both just for just for different reasons. They felt almost like two different movies to me. To yeah, point, I, I guess mean, it's also. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, I mean, I liked both parts, but for me, the journey was what I was there for. You know, I was like I was there for a, a heroic adventure. Anyway, the, uh, you know, like the time period set in the scene. I've seen plenty of that. I watched Black Death. 
Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so do we want to talk about sort of the, cause I, I, I was thinking about how, how to do a summary of the plot. Um, and the, the trouble with that is, I mean, you could do a very simple summary is this guy, uh, you know, a big mysterious mythical creature comes, challenges him to a bit of a fight. He wins the fight, says, you got to come see me in a year. And then he goes out to the wilderness and encounters crazy things, eventually meets back up with that uh, same monster kind of creature. And, uh, well, they have their end scene together that Hank was just explaining, right? But in between, there's a lot of very bizarre scenes that um, seem to have connections to other scenes, right? So I, I, you are, we already talked about um, St. Winifred, and you could view that as sort of just an isolated interlude, right? So he's lost in the woods, uh, comes upon a house, goes into the house, lays down in the bed. It seems abandoned. Um, and then he wakes up, and there's a woman, and she's saying, you know, who are you? Why are you here? Did my father send you? And he goes, oh, no, I'm sorry. I'm just lost, blah, 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 blah. And then she starts to say some very strange things, and he begins to ask her if she she's real, if she's a spirit, that sort of stuff. Um, is there anything else about that scene that stood out to you guys? And what do you think the significance of that scene is? Because I, I, I think that that scene has some importance for the rest of the story that's not immediately obvious when the scene happens. I'll, I'll grab the first part of your sentence or, or your question. I think Hank definitely has a good answer for the significance of the main plot. But one thing I thought that was really interesting that stood out to me a lot is how kind of candid and how funny the ghost winter saint winifred is in her responses to things and it almost felt like one of the only times where we have comedic breaks in in the script because i think there's a point where he goes out to touch her to see if she's a real ghost she goes don't touch me a knight should know better why would you touch me and then later they're standing at the edge of the pond and he goes if i retrieve your skull for you what will you do for, what will you do for me she goes why would you ask that why would you ever even ask that to me he goes i don't know sorry and then he jumps in the pond <laughs> I felt inappropriate for laughing in my theater, but it was it was kind of a, a fun like back and forth tete a tete that I don't think we get in a lot of the, the rest of the script. So I don't think it's that's at all integral to the plot, but I think it was from a, a screenwriting perspective a lot of fun. I, I I did really enjoy that bit of uh that bit of screenwriting myself. The interactions between Gowan and uh, Saint Winifred were a little bit hysterical. I was trying not to be the one guy in the theater that was laughing, and luckily there was someone else to take that seat. Um, and it was Taylor. <laughs> no, actually it wasn't Taylor. There's this dude off to our right that just kept on laying out these really loud barks of laughter. It was a little bit distracting. Um, he got it. He, you know, he he knew where it was supposed to be funny. But uh, as far as like the. Uh, the significance to the overall plot i think it's i actually don't really have that great of an answer so <laughs> thanks for setting me up for failure there keegan um, but no um i i think the closest thing i have to an answer is like it's kind of one of the displays we get of gallon being very honorable kind of throughout the plot you know he dives in without any promise of reward retrieves her skull brings it back to the resting place um, and, you know, I'm sure it would be seen as a very honorable act. Um, and so it kind of offsets some of the later stuff we see of him maybe being cowardly or him maybe being dishonorable in some way. Um, and, you know, kind of makes, I think, the ending a bit more satisfying. And, you know, we've seen him acting honorably and dishonorably, but we get, like, the overarching sense that he's an honorable knight. Um, so when he gets beheaded, that's, like, an honorable ending, and it ends up working. 
Um, but I, I think beyond that, I don't know if it has any specific signif significance with like the retrieving the head or like the staying at the house of the lady. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, the only the only thing I could really think of was well, first off, Saint Winifred was supposed to be a real person um, from like the seventh century. She was a, a Welsh uh, virgin martyr. I guess there used to be a lot more of those um, that supposedly got <laughs> decapitated, and supposedly they know the actual site where that happened and is a real real place um, in Wales. Um, but I thought it was interesting exactly for what you were saying, Keegan, those moments where he, you know, tried to touch her and she was like, what are you doing? And, and it's interesting because she's, she's kind of referencing his nightly uh, chivalric attitude he needs to be having and is, and is not having in those moments. But at the same time, she is very obviously not a person. Like she's some kind of witch spirit, some kind of crazy nonsense going on. And so, the, you know, there's this this kind of moment where he has to decide if he's going to do the chivalric thing, if he's going to be the good knight, or if he's going to realize or if he's going to, you know, say, no, you're a crazy spirit and I want nothing to do with this. And this is kind of the first time he's encountering that. And that seems to be kind of the motif for him the rest of the movie. Right. He encounters these things. And he ultimately does the nightly thing. But at first, he's like, what in that you're either a giant or a witch or just all kinds of crazy stuff is happening. And he has to decide if he's going to interact with that in a nightly way. Um, so that I, I, I really, really liked this scene. And I don't know if there's more to it. If there's like, you know, I'm sure there's an academic that would say, oh, no, the entire story is, is telegraphed because of St. Winifred. I don't know. But I, I think this <laughs> I think th this scene kind of represents this is why I wanted to call it out. I think there's a lot of little moments like this throughout where something weird happens, whether it's with the fox or the giants or whatever else, something weird happens. And it again, throws Gowan right into that position where he has to decide if he's going to be the honorable knight or if he's just going to not engage with this crazy stuff that he happens to be seeing. So, okay. So that was the one scene I wanted to call out. And the other one, obviously the, uh, the weird, um, couple well i guess i guess there's three of them at the house what what the hell was going on with that house and these people and the books and the astronomy and and the sex that they all wanted what and the old lady with the blindfold that nobody ever talks about <laughs> listeners if you haven't seen this movie there's this couple he meets at this chateau and also with the couple is an old lady with a blindfold on wearing all white with a white blindfold and nobody references her she's just there having food with them sitting by the bed she's just there no one ever talks about her nothing ever, like she doesn't speak nothing Except else for the one scene where she comes in his room and touches his face yeah, that's it. But he doesn't even he doesn't talk to her, does she? Does he? No, no. he doesn't say anything. Yeah. He's like, yeah, yeah, you know, I get, I get, I get it, I get it. Okay, so yeah. that 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 is the the whole set of scenes I want to talk about in this weird, bizarre chateau. What was going on there, Keegan? I want you to go again first. Oh no, I didn't know how I felt about this at all. I was just super confused, and it's so funny that throughout this, you guys have continually called them a couple. Joel Egerton's character, the hunter, I guess he's credited as the lord, and then I think Essel is her name, but it's the same actress that plays his girlfriend, who's like, I guess, ostensibly a prostitute back in Camelot, right? It's the, it's the same girl, she just has a wig on, whereas back in Camelot, she just has like short pixie cut, right? It's the same actress. But it, it's just super confusing. What? I didn't know that they. Did you not know? That? Yeah, it's, it's the no. Same I didn't notice that. I didn't, I didn't notice that. Am I wrong in this? Can we? No, no I'm pretty sure break? you're right. 
Oh my god. <laughs> okay, we're gonna edit this out while we all check right. the, uh, the the credits. Um, I, I had this. I did not notice that at all. Okay, let's see who's credited on IMDb. <laughs> let's see here. Uh, hmm. Top cast. Uh, Alicia Vikander as do do do. I can't tell. Yeah, they're making it really difficult to make out. I'm going to Wikipedia. Um, yeah, no, it was her as Essel and the Lady. What in the world? Oh my goodness. Okay, cool. So yeah. it was the same actress. Okay, so coming back in. All right. Three, two, yeah, so one. I, what was up with that? Why were they the same person? Well, because it's like meant to be, well, he, because part of that is that the, the, what is it, madam or the lady? She takes the bell off his neck and the bell was a gift from his girlfriend back home. So I don't know if it was meant to be like, will he stay true to his, his girlfriend back in Camelot? I was just very confused. And it's so funny you guys address them as the couple because I, Joel Egerton to me is like, that's a 45 year old dude. And then she is like, I don't know what, like late 20s. I didn't know if it was three generations. I didn't know if he was meant to be married to the older woman. I was just completely lost in all of their relation to who one another was. Uh, and I didn't like it. And I, I was always kind of uncomfortable. I was always super <laughs> tense. It's pretty clear from the beginning that this is meant to be like a foil. Like this is not a place he's supposed to spend a, a bunch of time and, and waste his time before, you know, potentially missing his deadline to make it to Christmas to the Green Chapel. Uh, but I guess once I realized that it was all weird and, and kind of fucky, I just kind of gave myself up to it. I will say it, you know, it all kind of culminates in this weird scene where uh, the the lady asks for his magic belt that's going to protect him and has a little Mahjong token in it. And she does so by apparently jerking him off and then showing him his hand, which he's uh, uh, finished in and making fun of him for it. I didn't know what that was, and I didn't like it. And my audience that I watched it with also audibly did not like that scene either. Uh, and then also, you know, I said it culminates in that, but ultimately it culminates in him leaving and then seeing Joel Eckerton in the woods where he's killed a boar with two spears. And my thought first is like, how the hell is he, a man on a horse going to take this 300-pound boar back to his to his villa or whatever it is but then he says his goodbyes and gives him the fox back and kisses him on the lips and i was like all right whatever happens it's just part of this movie because i am lost and i don't know what the hell's going on i would love i would love a supercut of your face while watching this movie that just like like lit like like the red lights of the of the floor on the theater so it's all like creepy and just watching your expressions and, and like you said I, I live in portland right so the couple next to me was super duper hip and they they got it they were like tuned in they seemingly understood everything so i'm looking at them like why are you getting it and i'm not getting it what is, <laughs> what, is what am i not tapping into knowledge wise that makes you understand what's happening right now so i don't maybe get we can it. get them on the show next week <laughs> <laughs> yeah hey. so I'm, I'm just gonna hop in here and be like yeah, I, I don't know what was happening in this sequence either. <laughs> Unlike you, I enjoyed it. I was like, yeah, man, this is weird. This house looks out of time. It looks like it's like from France somewhere and not, you know, not England and like the 8th century. 
but as far as what was going on with the lady, why she was the same actress as his girlfriend, <laughs> uh, their whole interlude, and then his interlude with the Lord, who is, in your opinion, apparently not her husband. Um, yeah, I, I, I was pretty lost during this section. I was like, is this just him fever dreaming, like, after he's had that uh, kind of violent encounter where he was, you know, kind of nursed back to health by them? Like, maybe none of it happened, and he was just having a fever dream where he doesn't really know what he wants, so he has an intimate encounter with both of them. And then also there's some weird old woman specter that <laughs> rubs his face. But... Uh, you know, b beyond that, you know, half-assed, like, oh, it was all a dream explanation. I have nothing. I, I don't know what was going on here. <laughs> well, and at the very end, after after uh, he gives him a good, good kiss on the lips goodbye, he says, if you come back this way, we won't be here. <laughs> and, he, and, and, the, and Gowan's like, yeah, okay, whatever, <laughs> whatever, guys, you guys. No, Gowan's I, like, yeah, I wasn't <clears throat> hoping you would be. Yeah, I was like, you guys kind of creep me the fuck out, to be honest with you. <laughs> no, I, I, I assumed that all of this, again, was this testing of, of, of his knightly chivalry, right? And so the, I, the reason I thought they were a couple is because... The husband keeps making, he keeps alluding to like, oh, she's got a gift for you. You should, uh, you should check out that gift. Mm. And it just, the way, the way he, I don't know. They just, they just kind of struck me as swingers. That, that's uh, the whole, yeah, it's the whole that predatory poly couple. <laughs> <laughs> What's that yeah, mean? It, where it's like a, it, it's like a couple and they're like, hey, my girlfriend saw you across the bar. Can we buy you a drink? <laughs> yeah, that's, no, that's kind of what was, that was kind of the vibe. But at the same time, it wasn't that. It was, or it was more than that, right? Because she wants the, she, she wants his magical belt and she also wants to sleep with him. But then when they actually do have, you know, cause there's like some light flirting going on and it's like a little, it's fine. But then she comes in when he's just woken up and the whole, you know, encounter happens. And she's like, you're no knight. And it's just fucking leaves him there in his <laughs> mess. And, and it's like, again, testing that, that knightly chivalry in just bizarre circumstance. And and at seeing how Gawain interacts with it, and it, you know, the 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 question that I always have with these ancient weird stories is, did this seem weird to people at the time? Like for the contemporaries of this, yeah. did they read this and they were like, what the fuck's going on here? Or were they like, ah, <laughs> oh, yeah, it's these guys again? Like that's the mystery. We don't we don't know if regular audiences heard this or read this, and and everything sort of made sense to them. They got what all the references and stuff were, right? It's just been it's too yeah. far removed, so it, we don't know if they thought it was weird too yeah well, so my me, opinion right? oh go ahead oh, i was just going to say my opinion and i believe the opinion of my co-hosts here at rotating reels is that in like eighth century england everyone was just used to that old swinger couple that was yeah, always was you know, just, just looking every to find had one. a young man down on his luck that's just <laughs> that's a cultural reference we don't get but it's it's it, it's integral to this film yeah, yeah, yeah. It made me feel like an old conservative man because she, she comes in, <laughs> call, like you know, calls him a minute man and kind of makes fun of him for it, and then walks out. He scrambles and he's just sat there with his his jizz covered belt. And that was one of the moments where I just kind of turned my nose. I was like, I don't much care for this. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, well, but it was you know you got to remember adultery. I was a sin. That was illegal. It was a big deal. It wasn't just wasn't just like oh the marriage is ruined. It was like someone could be killed for this. Yeah, you're going to hell, right? So uh, fair enough. But still, I guess you know under modernized, it's still very weird. Yeah, 
Okay. All right. So we move on from that. And then uh, is, were there any other big scenes you guys wanted to call out before we get to the, the final scene with the Green Knight and the Green Chapel? Uh, that's the one I want to talk about. Yeah. Ooh, I'm going to speak one more. One yeah. more. When yeah. he meets the, the, the gang of, I don't know if they're like pickpockets or whatever, but it's the boy from, uh, the, the creepy kid from The Killing of a Killing Sacred Deer. Killing of a Deer. Sacred Deer. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, Billy Cohen. Yeah. Dude will never look normal to me. I mean, he's always, every scene he's in, I'm uncomfortable. And it's awesome. I mean, we literally, I think it's a tracking shot for like three plus minutes of Death Patel just riding a horse through a completely clear cut forest where a battle just took place. And I was like, I love this. And then, you know, we obviously go into our crazy town stuff, but that scene, just the imagery alone of this wide angle lens of showing this huge, you know, battle scene, so, so cool. Those are my two favorite shots, that one long one you just talked about, and then the very first shot of the movie, which is, it's it's uh, framed up, so it's like the outside door of a hovel in like a medieval city, and there's uh, a horse tied up, and there's a goat, and geese, and then, to- I'm sure, unscripted, uh, the goose bites the, <laughs> bites the butt yep. of the goat, and then the goat turns around, and the goose and goat kind of go at it, and you can see the castle in the background. I love that. I love just getting big giant oh no we are actually a couple hundred years back in time and this is just what it looks like love that and so i'm glad you called that out because that was one of my favorite shots in the whole film yeah the battlefield shot too i I won't linger on it too long but uh when the kid comes up to sir gawain and like starts talking to him the kid was menacing from the get-go and like like they really communicated that well like how at the end the kid's like is my advice worth nothing to you and sir gawain's like here's a coin and the kid's like thank you and it's like (laughs) you know sir gawain could have just run away he wouldn't give him a coin if he wasn't scared shitless you know um and I, i i just thought like the dread in that scene was palpable and i loved it Gowan constantly is interacting with people in this movie that I would have just totally not made eye contact with and walked away. Like from the very beginning when he volunteers to fight the monster that's just come in and he's just been saying he's not really a knight yet and these other guys are all knights and he's the one that volunteers like Gowan, come on, it's a little self-preservation here, dude. Like he just meets all these crazy people and he's like, oh, well, I don't want to be rude even though you're like the giants. He comes yeah. on top of a cliff, and there's a f- just as far as I can see, you know what? These must have been a thousand foot tall giants that are all naked, hairless, blue, vaguely. Some of them look like I think women. I don't know. And they're walking around, and he starts yelling at them, like, "Dude, <laughs> what are you doing?" Yeah, just let them get gone. Yeah, you can't deal with that. Yeah. Uh, okay. All right. So this poor, poor Gowan, he finally somehow he gets rid of his fox friend, which really upset me, by the way, that I was, that was probably the most emotional scene for me is where so he tells the fox to go. Yeah. The fox just talked at you, man. Have a heart. And then he ends up in the green chapel. What do you guys think about this scene? What's going on here? What are the, what are the underlying motifs that the writer's trying to convey from a couple hundred years in the past? Hank, what do you think? Yeah, well, for me, it's not. There's not all that. Like, there's there's obviously a lot of nuance to it, but on the whole, it's not all that nuance. Sir Gawain shows up. He meets the Green Knight. He kind of like waits for his appointment. The appointment comes when his, the time is, you know, to get his head chopped off. And he's getting ready. He kind of gets scared. He flinches off. The Green Knight says, "I wasn't scared when you chopped my head off." And then Sir Gawain's like, "Ah, you're right. Okay, let me bend back over so you can chop my head off now." And then we see him running away, and he lives out the rest of his life, and he lives, and he becomes king, has children. 
and uh, he sees all the people that he loved being being killed, essentially. Like, he sees his lover that had his child, he just tosses her aside. His son ends up getting killed on the field of battle. Um, and he's left to just see his kingdom crumbling, and he dies, essentially, in dishonor. And then we cut back to him in present day, and he's like, no, I don't want to do that. And he gets his head chopped off. Well, it doesn't show him getting his head chopped off, but the Green Knight says, and now off with your head. You know, like, good job, Sir Knight. And so we're, you know, the, the idea, I think, of the poem is probably like, yeah, get your head chopped off. That's what you paid for. You got to pay your checks, you know. Um, so uh, anyway, th I, I think it's fairly straightforward. I think it's kind of the culmination of everything we're seeing, which is he has the option to act dishonorably. He could easily just run away. The Green Knight wouldn't even follow him. But if he does that, he's going to lead a life of dishonor and everything will crumble around him, as happens in every tra uh, tragedy. But this is a romance, which means that he gets beheaded, and everything's fine. Da-da-da! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Keegan, what did you think about this scene? Uh, okay, so step back a little bit. One of the things I really appreciated is just, like, the visual differentiation between these scenes that we've been talking about. So, like, when they go through the battle zone, it's super brown. We get to St. Winifred's house. It's lots of, like, black, dark blue, and it's at night, and then he dives down, and it's red, and then we go to... What's next? We go to the, the Lord's house, and it's all of, like, misty whites and very, like, you know, bright colors. And then we go to this final scene, and it's all these yellows, like, these bright, super, super in-your-face yellows. And it's so cool, and it's, like, it's obviously not period correct, right? Like, what would ever cause this? But it's so visually stunning. And I love that, and I love that, like, he's just sitting there for so long waiting for the green night to wake up um but yeah it's you know what this is a reference to uh twilight breaking dawn part two where you get an entire ending and go, that's not the real ending <laughs> you thought that's how we were gonna do it that was the sad ending and now we psych you out and we show you how it's really gonna end and i think uh i was bummed out at first i was like man this fucking sucks what's the point of this like yeah, he, like, has a kid with this lady that he supposedly loves, throws her aside, and then he, like, I guess the Green Knight tracks him down, he pulls a little belt off, and his head comes off. Whatever. I was like, it's fucking stupid. And then they're like, oh, no. He realizes that that's a horrible way to live his life, and that's a, the non-chivalrous way to go about things. So it's all, it's, you know, it's all part of, like, the parable of, of him realizing that that's not the thing that he should do if he wants to be respected as a knight. And that's not how you live on, right? Like, the way that you live on is by dying and having your legend be told as the man that fulfilled his promise to the Christmas game. So I actually, you know, I, again, I still have that feeling of, like, uh, what I just watched because it pretty quickly moves from him saying, yeah, go ahead and do it. And then, you know, he's like, all right, comes down and then just says the green knight. It's, it's very, very quick that all this happens. But... You know, all things considered, I think it's a, a pretty neat way to wrap things up. Um, and I think it's it's cool that it really shows that he puts in the thought of, like, who am I if I decide to not follow through on my promises? Um, so yeah. I liked it. And so, Hank, I wanted to ask you, because the end of the poem is actually pretty different. Mm -hmm. um, and it actually, the end of the poem seems to make a lot more sense to me than this. So would you want to give a little synopsis of how the poem ends or I can, I can do it too. Why don't but. you do it? No. So <clears throat> it's a little, it's a little more complicated because some of the original characters are changed from the film. Um, but basically at the, at the very end, um, uh, the knight goes to cut his head off. Gowan flinches. Knight makes fun of him. Gowan's like, all right, fuck you. Cut my head off. And, uh, he, you know, gives a, 
full bore and it just cuts him a little bit and then uh the green knight reveals in fact he is not a, a magical creature he's just been made to look magical he's actually the dude from back in the castle um and it was his in the movie it's his mother but in the poem it's like it's some other relative of his that was trying to mess with him and she's the one that uh made him look like a a, a magical figure and it was all just a trick to mess with him so he goes home still wearing the sash with like his shame of like trying to not honor his promise by wearing the magical sash and he goes back and then everybody's nice to him and they're like ah don't don't worry about it that was still a hell of a thing you did good for you and he wears the sash forever as a reminder to not lie and to do his promises and stuff that that seems like a much neater story to me and mm -hmm. i don't know why they changed it I don't really even have have any sense of what they were trying to get at that because it seems pretty different in the end What do you what do you think Hank? Yeah, so I, I think there's a couple things So I, I, I think the first thing is that they <clears throat> wanted an honorable ending for this movie Because I, I think you can't really argue that this ending wasn't kind of the honorable way to go He ended up taking off the belt um, you know, tossing it aside, getting his head chopped off, the whole deal. It's kind of like all the chivalric virtue you could want right there. And the original poem is, uh, it's, it's neater, I think, plot-wise, but in terms of kind of like the character development, you know, he leaves the belt on, you know, it ends up being a test. His mom played a trick on him. And so not as only, he only kind of mildly dishonored by having attempted to cheat, um, mm -hmm. But he's to a greater degree dishonored by essentially having been played a fool uh, mm. by by the people closest to him. Um, and so I, I'm actually not 100% sure about this. But if I'm correct, I think Sir Gawain is remembered as Sir Gawain the Coward to some extent. Um, doo -doo -doo. Uh, he might have even appeared in... Uh, in uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail is like the knight that ran up, uh, away from everything or something. So mm. I think the original telling is kind of, uh, you, know, you know, it's 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 kind of funny in a way, but it's also kind of uh, making fun of Sir Gawain, you know, at, at the end of the day. Like, he, he didn't really have to give up anything um, in the original tale. You know, like, he kept the belt, he kept his head and everything. And in the movie, he had to give up everything. So I think it's kind of just an inversion of the tale. Yeah, so they're um, kind of yeah. trying to um, they're trying to uh, uh, rehabilitate the image of Gowan. They think, you know what, he's been given a bad rap this whole time. He shouldn't have been viewed as a coward. He should have been viewed as... I mean, if you think about it, he does... Uh, he does make transgressions against the chivalric code, right? He does have some sort of a sexual encounter with the woman he's not supposed to, even though it was his girlfriend, kind of. Um, and she may have been married, we're not quite sure. But even still, it's all, like, all of the mistakes he makes are ones that other people are, have really kind of forced upon him. I don't think there's any where he was just straight up a bad dude. It was like mm. other people have really pushed his limits. And he does not seem like he's got a lot of street smarts. He's just talking to any kid he meets in the forest no matter what oh, yeah, movies that know, kid's been in he's not a knight you know you know like that, that comes up a number of times people are like sir knight and he's like i'm not a knight you said i was a knight yeah, really, yeah. i'm just yeah. you know the the young drunk kid that spends a lot of time at the brothel and was like oh i can finally do something with my life yeah. Oh my god, sorry yeah. to interrupt. I love the scene where he first goes home in the beginning and he kisses his mother and he was like, I was at mass. And she goes, yeah, do you drink all the communion wine? Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that was fun. 
Well, that's that's kind of all the stuff I wanted to I, I wanted to kind of pull out of this movie. Is there anything else you guys wanted to talk about before we get into kind of our final opinions of everything? I think I'm ready to give an opinion. I honestly think this is a movie that needs to be to to be seen. You know, it's a it's not a movie that's easily summarized or described. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Keegan, anything else you want to add? I'm good, man. I think. Uh... You know what? I don't love this movie still, but I think I, I kind of knew that this would happen, that I would not particularly love my experience of watching it, but having this conversation would kind of open me up to seeing it in a different light. So I'm sure that this is something that like in five to ten years I will revisit and having this conversation and having a little bit more understanding of things, I'll have, you know, a, a greater appreciation of what it is. And have you read the poem yet? I haven't. No, I, I particularly, I, I like specifically try to stay away from it just for letting it stand on its own merit. I know Hank said otherwise, but. Yeah, I think it'd be worth reading. And I think if, if anyone's actually curious, I'm sure Hank can find some good, uh, I can look to, but f find yeah, some I good see. commentary about, you know, what, what do people that actually spend their lives thinking about these things, what do they think all these different things represent? And I think that there's, you can probably get some good stuff out of that that kind of maybe, I'm sure, you know, the, the, the people behind this film probably did all of that, right? So I'm sure that there's probably little things in there that without knowing all that commentary, you kind of miss. Yeah, right. you know, there, there, there are plenty of translations of it in the public domain, and a lot of those are by academics, so they come they come with a lot of footnotes, etc. So we'll see if we can throw something up on, like, the Patreon or something. Yeah. Awesome. All right, let's move on to final opinions. Hank, why don't you go first? Yeah, so I really, really liked this movie. I thought it was really fun to watch. I, I, I obviously like the source material enough that I, I have read it. I've, I've read it a couple times before seeing the movie. So going in, I was very excited because I knew the source material. I was excited to see an adaptation. And I did really enjoy myself. But I think that I have to give this movie just 7 out of 11 premature ejaculations um and, 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 and the reason for that is because i really enjoyed it but i can see so much room for any other audience that doesn't already love the source material as much not enjoy it and then on top of that it didn't really do anything to surprise me which is often kind of what shifts a movie from a good movie to a great movie in my eyes you know i want to see something that i enjoyed that i didn't even know i wanted and this movie gave me a lot of things that i enjoyed very well but i knew i wanted all of them and that's not really meant to detract from the movie like i i i'm still probably going to buy a dvd copy copy i really enjoy the movie but it's not you know on the level of something like uh like the witch or midsummer where it just did something you know it went a lot of places i wasn't expecting it didn't really do that like it was kind of like exactly what i would expect from an a24 adaptation of the green knight so really yeah. good i really enjoyed it but it's not it's not going to be like in my pantheon of all-time favorites it didn't have that level of impact on me that's a very sober review i like that hank keegan <laughs> what do you think Man, yeah, I uh, this is a really interesting movie, and I think a movie that I have a lot of respect for. I think it's already based on very weird, surreal source material, and on top of that, you bake in kind of a, a more out-there director with uh, a, a, a pretty interesting idea of what he wants to do with it, and it becomes a pretty like unique watching experience. It's like a, a game of telephone, right? It's like, how weird can you make this word after you translate it through so many, so many rounds? Um, and I think that makes for a really interesting, you know, artistic experience of watching this movie. But again, it's not something that really connected with me. 
it's not something that I, I love. Or I don't. I, I went in thinking I was going to like it a lot more than I ended up uh, actually enjoying it. Um, and I don't think this is going to be something that's like in my top of the year or anything. But hopefully something that I revisit in, in future watchings and have uh, you know more enjoyability out of in, in the future. So overall, I think this is a movie that I don't think I'm going to recommend to everyone. But I think I have very, very specific people in mind that I think I'm going to go directly to and say that this is something that you'll enjoy. And I think... Uh, like Hank said, it, it's made for a very niche audience. Um, so if I had to give it a rating, I would give it a three beautifully toned abs out of six Dev Patel core shots. It's uh, <laughs> he's a dude's in great shape, uh, and I'm also so happy for him. You know, coming all the way from from all the different movies that he's done, he's had such an interesting career. And I think, you know, even if I didn't love the movie, it's really really cool that he branched out and tried something as weird as this. Yeah, I think he did a great job too. And that's something I don't think any of us have said, but for for my money, the acting was great from everybody. I, I thought yeah. all the acting was tremendous. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally agree. Yeah. Okay, so my my I, I'm kinda right with both you guys there that I wanted to like this movie more than I did. I like that they did it. I think that there's there's so much gold to be mined from all these old stories that have existed forever that have a lot of interesting themes can be really really weird especially the further back in time you go um and so i i want to support people that have done work like this so i like this movie a lot from that standpoint but from you know the actual plot and, and sitting down and watching it they're kind of what hank said there wasn't a lot that not surprised me, but really enthralled me. There, besides the, the the parts that did the most for me were just the big open shots of the landscape, of the battlefield, the towns. All of that did more for me than a lot of the actual plot moving forward pits. Um, so I'm going to give it an 8 out of 10 foxes that know what's up. My favorite line <laughs> in the whole movie is the fox is barking at him, telling him not to go at the last minute, and he's yelling at the fox, and the fox starts talking, and they do it such a great job. It sounds like a fox trying to talk, right? It's all gravelly and weird because it doesn't really have lips. And uh, and he says, if any man knew what was what was uh, where you're going, what you're about to face, he would not go and gladly bear the shame the rest of his life. And I, I have a theory that all these old stories, especially like the Icelandic Viking sagas, all these guys go and do crazy, brave, honorable stuff. And I think that almost all those people in history died. And our ancestors, those of us alive today, are the people that met the crazy people in the woods and said, nah, I'm good with that. I don't need anything to do with that and they just left <laughs> they went back home and they said that's okay everybody can call me a coward that's fine so that fox that fox was it for me eight eight out of ten foxes <laughs> i love it and uh, what oh. yeah what are we watching next week that's what i was yeah, about exactly. to ask taylor uh what are we watching next week i think we're gonna be watching free guy is that right no we're watching suicide squad it's an a week next week right it is another A-week again. It is summer. I'll take over here. So we have a ton of A-weeks lined up. Um, I think we have uh, like Candyman, Free Guys, Suicide Squad, lots Ooh. of stuff coming up. So it's going to be a little bit since you hear another B-week interjection. Uh, also, IMDb has been kind of letting us down with a lot of these blurbs. So I just pulled IMDb up. I hope this is not absolute shit. Um, but yeah, next week we'll be watching Suicide Squad, which is going to be a dual release in theaters and on HBO Max. Uh, the plot synopsis reads... 
supervillains Harley Quinn, Bloodsport, Peacemaker, and a collection of nutty cons at Bel Reve Prison join the super secret, super shady Task Force X as they are dropped off on a remote enemy infused island of Corto Maltese. I don't know. Not much to go off. This is a huge cast. It's directed by James Gunn, who previously did um, the Guardians of the Galaxies movie, Guardian of the Galaxy movies over at uh, Marvel. So hopefully this should be really fun and wacky. Have a big fun ensemble. Uh, and I think we're all looking forward to this a lot. Is that right? Yeah, and this is this is also based on a, a dry historical epic poem, right? The Suicide Squad. That's uh... it is. Yeah, <laughs> from 2010. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> The, the, the famous work of, of uh, the, the ancient poet DC Comics. Oh, <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> well, I, I'm excited. I actually have not watched almost anything in the DC universe. I haven't seen any of the Suicide Squad stuff. Hey, you're so not I'm, missing I'm... out. So. Oh, yeah. So here's the interesting right. thing to throw in there really quickly. Uh, this is not a sequel to the first Suicide Squad movie. DC is taking an interesting turn. They basically try to set up a DCEU, much like Marvel has. Uh, it fell apart, and the plot lines are all over the place, and they have you know different ah. versions of Commissioner Gordon and all over the place. So they have a, their, their new stance is basically that none of these movies are connected, and all of them are from the perspective of like looking at a legend. So they all exist in the same universe and they don't kind of the way that we perceive them as movies these are all not connected but they're all kind of things that may have happened together maybe they didn't uh it's a very weird timeline so don't get hung up you don't have to watch that you just basically know margot robbie's a really good version of that character and then nothing else is needed Okay. All right. yeah. Works yeah. for me. <laughs> exactly. Like, Rosso, your other here. movies sucked, so let's not <laughs> yeah. bring them into this. Yeah. Let, At let least me. they acknowledge <laughs> that, though. I guess. At least they owned up and like, yeah, that wasn't very good. Yeah, no, it's much better than yeah. uh, what uh, Warner Brothers did with Space Jam. And with that, I'll see you guys next week. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye, everyone.